Well, hey there, Faith City Church. I'm so glad to be here today with you to share from God's Word. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Paul. I've just joined the staff this past week as your lead pastor alongside Pastor Glenn for discipleship and multiplication. And again, it's just a pleasure to be here with you this morning. I know we're separated by distance, but we know that the Holy Spirit brings us all together Uh, in God's presence and in his love. And so, though I can't be physically with you today, I'm so excited that we have the opportunity to join each other uh, through uh, technology. So I know God's got a great word in store for us today, and I just uh, invite you along for the ride. Uh, Keep your heart open as we try to hear um, from him. We're going to continue the encounter series today. In fact, we're going to end it today. Um, Today's the last week for this series, and we're ending it with encountering God's mercy, encountering God's mercy. We're going to read uh, some scripture from James chapter 2, and we're also going to read some scripture from John chapter 4. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can, or you can read it along uh, with me here on this screen. So let's get right to it then. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, and verse 13. 1 to 9 and verse 13. It says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if man wearing, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, so into your church or where you've gathered, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those whom he loves? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law or the law of Christ, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. But if you show partiality or discrimination, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, and then let's head on over to John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 10 and 25 and 26. John 4, 1 to 10, it says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground of Jacob, which had been given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
The woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Would you join me and pray uh, for a few moments here uh, today? Lord, we uh, just pause to open up our hearts to you. Um, we want to hear from you today. God, uh, wherever we are, and I guess whatever time we're at listening to this message, uh, we want your spirit to find good ground in our hearts. We want the word to find good ground in our hearts so that it can grow and that it can bring about change, God. We want to be transformed by you today. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to speak. And, uh, and we're listening to you. God, I want to leave uh, uh, this day changed, and I know um, those tuning in do as well. Help us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I, like many of you, um, over the last couple of weeks have been uh, tuned into the news a little bit more than usual. Um, certainly been tuned into social media more than I usually am. And uh, unfortunately, it's, a, it's negative happenings that have brought my attention there, um, starting with the, the murder of George Floyd in the United States. And what we have witnessed since then uh, are an, is an unprecedented level of protest um, in America, but around the world, really. It's even reached here in Canada, different cities, um, our city here in Halifax as well. There's been a lot of pre peaceful protest against uh, anti-black racism, racism in, in general. And uh, it's been a bit overwhelming, if I'm honest, at times. I think partly because it is unprecedented uh, in my lifetime to see uh, um, such protest. And I think it's also, as I've reflected, that sense of overwhelm uh, for me. At times it's been anger um, and sadness and, uh, and different emotions. Maybe you can relate to that. Um, but as I reflected on why is that, I, I came to the conclusion that it's because there is certain truth that's being exposed um, you know, through uh, George Floyd's murder and then the, the dialogue that we're hearing after and the protests that are happening, there, there is truth that's being exposed. And sometimes the truth is, is challenging to wrestle with. And that truth today that's um, being exposed is that racism still exists. And anti-black racism in particular still exists. It's a systemic problem here even in the West. And sometimes I think we, we like to think that uh, in North America, uh, you know, things have advanced to such a degree that perhaps um, these, these problems don't exist, but we're reminded again that they do. It's, it's undeniable. Um, we're seeing it uh, everywhere. And that can be uncomfortable. That can be challenging to deal with. Black and or indigenous people and other people of color still suffer real racism in our day. It's a very challenging truth um, to digest. Sometimes the truth is hard to believe because of what we see on the surface. You know, on the surface, things can be presented uh, in different ways for different reasons, and things can look okay, and they can look fine. But if we haven't taken the time to walk below the surface of the experience of other people, then we don't really understand what's taking place. We can't really uh, know what they have been through, um, what they have endured. And so as Christians, it's our responsibility to seek out the truth. Jesus said, the truth is what will set you free. 
But the truth isn't just on the surface. We've got to go deeper at times. And so uh, I've spoken uh, over the last few weeks uh, with some of my friends uh, who are part of the black community. Um, Some of them here even uh, at Faith and Faith City Church. Um, And it's been very good for me to dialogue and to get a better understanding of what they have experienced in their lives. And we really get to the truth uh, when we seek to find it. And so today, one of the the people that I had the privilege to speak with um, agreed to do an interview. In fact, um, you can actually check that out uh, on our YouTube channel. You may have already done so. But uh, Jordan and I were able to spend some time with uh, Ronki Taiwo. Uh, Ronki is a leader at one of the universities here in the city. And uh, we were able to ask her some questions about what she has experienced um, as an African woman who immigrated to Canada. She's been part of faith for many, many years and also has a, a wonderful um, perspective to share um, from a Christian point of view. And so I want you to take a couple of moments and just see a few highlights to put some context around uh, this issue of anti-black racism that we're encountering these days. And then we'll come back together and uh, take a look at those scriptures. So check out a few minutes of this video and we'll be right back. How do the people that you work with day to day see this in their lives? I just want to, first of all, acknowledge that racism is a big word. (laughs) It is a big word and it comes in different ways. Um, Racism, there has been systemic racism forever. Um, Racism can be subtle. (laughs) Classmates or professors making comments in class that um, are very disturbing. These are things that students have come to me to express how they felt. First, we all need to recognize that there is only one race, the human race. The difference in skin is due to the amount of melanin contained therein. Black people have more, others have less. We need to be mindful of the language that we use and stop referencing race. It is divisive, it's very divisive. So I'm curious to know, um, as a Christian woman, you know, and, and, and in this conversation for the church, you know, how, how does Christ and his teachings, how does that help us um, to get to this place of reconciliation? Perhaps maybe, um, you know, helping to lead it or, or getting there faster than we might otherwise would. But how does that, what does that, you know, look like for you, um, your faith and, and reconciliation? First of all, no matter what people have done to us, um, as Christians, we are taught to forgive and expect the best from others. Having faith um, is a fundamental tenet of the Christianity. Um, Jesus Christ taught us to, to love one another as he has loved us. A sincere commitment um, to the practice of self-love first will facilitate authentic, respectful relationship with others. Such great content from Ronki. And again, I remind you that that video is available on our YouTube channel. We'd love for you to listen to the whole thing. I believe it's about 30 minutes and just there's some really good things that Ronki uh, shares with us. And uh, it helps us move towards an understanding of the experience, the truth of racism that um, people are encountering. And that is so important. 
Um, it's so important to understand that context. And one of the things Ronke, uh, one of the things Ronke uh, alludes to is that in order for reconciliation to come about, there has to be an acknowledgement that this is the truth, that there still is racism and it still exists. And even though that's uncomfortable, we cannot begin to reconcile. We cannot begin to come together really in, in a true sense unless we are able to acknowledge that. As Christians, the, the gospel has got to be the starting point from which we seek to come together and reconcile. The banner of Christianity is what flies over our lives, all of us, regardless of our color or our experience or our country. And so when we come around Jesus, when we come around the gospel, we come to a place where we all can come together uh, as one. And so this morning, we want to look at this issue of anti-black racism from a biblical perspective, from uh, a Christ-centered perspective. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans a scholar in the United States, an African-American scholar and pastor, uh, talks about the language that we use when it comes to the issue of racism. And he says that as Christians, as followers of Christ, it's technically wrong to identify with our culture or our, our culture first. Technically, Now, this doesn't mean we have to totally change the way we speak or, or talk about ourselves, but what he's getting at is how we think about ourselves. We, we need to um, be aware. And so he argues that it's technically incorrect, like for me, to refer to myself as a second-generation Indian-Canadian Christian. He would say as a black man that, that it's not helpful to identify himself as a black Christian. It extends to maybe a prosperous Christian or a poor Christian or, or a white Christian or, or what have you. It's, it's not helpful, Dr. Evans suggests, to do that. He says that we need to put Christian in the place of the adjective and leave our humanity in the place of the noun. So put Christian in the place of the adjective and take our humanity, our country, our culture and those things and put that into the place of the noun. And this is because our humanity, our culture, our country is who God has made us. He's allowed us to live in a given country. He's created us to look a certain way. Um, and so that is who we are. That's our humanity. That's the noun. But Christianity, our faith in Jesus Christ, putting it into the adjective position is so important because then it shapes us. The adjective describes the noun. The adjective, if you will, adjusts the noun. And so it becomes important that Christianity is in the place. I'm, I'm a Christ follower and I, I'm Canadian and I'm East Indian and all those other things, but I'm a Christian. Christianity, Christian in the place of the adjective and our humanity in the place of the noun. It's critical that we get this right. Otherwise, when pressure comes from different influences, society, um, secularism, whatever the case may be, uh, when those influences come upon us, then we will want to succumb to their pressure if we're identifying with those first. But if Christianity is in the place of the adjective, then our identity conforms to that. Our identity as a Canadian conforms to our Christianity. 
rather than the other way around. Being a Canadian Christian, then the influences of Canadian society are paramount in our lives and the Bible and Christ takes a back seat. And then we run into trouble. That's when we get into trouble in different ways. Another way to put it is this. If anything must be adjusted, it's the noun of our humanity, not the adjective of our faith. If anything must be adjusted, it is the noun of our humanity and not the adjective of our faith. And I believe, you see, this is the challenge that we are facing in the body of Christ right now, even at this critical moment, as we are looking at, at a society that's protesting, um, that's rightly saying racism is wrong. We, we are dealing with the truth of that. And what we're finding is that sometimes we reverse these things. We reverse these things. And what we're trying to adjust is, is our faith to conform with some other pressure when really it is us who need to change and we need to allow the gospel to be the mechanism for that change. So if anything must be adjusted, it's the noun of our humanity and not the adjective of our faith. Not the adjective of our faith. And so today, you know, I might need a little bit of an adjustment my humanity might need a little bit of an adjustment to be more Christ-like. Even in this uh, topic, as uncomfortable as it might be for some, even in this topic of racism, perhaps our humanity needs a bit of an adjustment. But our faith doesn't. In fact, our faith is what will help us make that adjustment. It's so important for us to come to our faith, to Christianity, to the Bible, to Jesus, to understand what it says on this topic of racism, and then to reflect and to measure and to see Examine our hearts and understand how do we measure up against the standard that Jesus has given to us, that God has communicated for us. Today, perhaps our humanity needs an adjustment. So we want to take a look at what the Bible says first about racism, and then we want to look at what can we do then? How can we um, change ourselves? What can example can we look to in terms of uh, addressing and engaging presently in the current uh, climate and discussion around anti-black racism and other sorts of discrimination? So, well, let's take a look and James chapter 2, there's a point here that I want to make. The first point, there'll be a few. There's a first point is that Christianity and racism cannot coexist within our hearts. Christianity and racism cannot coexist within our hearts. James 2, 1 says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The New Living Translation says it this way, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? The language here is clear and it's strong. There is no room for discrimination in the body of Christ. There's no room for discrimination in the body of Christ. That includes racism. That includes anti-black racism, which is what we're talking about specifically right now in our society. But it includes all sorts of discrimination wanting to hang out with those that are just wealthy or well-to-do and, and not being engaged with those who might have less, wanting to be associated with the most brilliant among us or most educated, but, but not connecting with those who may not have uh, the greatest uh, of formal educations. Whatever kind of favoritism we may demonstrate, it's wrong and it has no place in our hearts. It has no place in the body of Christ. Christianity and racism cannot coexist. So the question we have to ask ourselves are there any 
racist attitudes lurking in our heart somewhere? It's a very tough question to, to pose to ourselves. But we need to ask ourselves these difficult questions so that we can then take steps forward to engage and to bring reconciliation to the conversation that we're having. Are there ways that we discriminate? Are there ways that we play favorites? It's an important question for us to ask today. The second point that I want to raise from this chapter is that Christianity offers selfless love to all. Christianity offers selfless love to all, but racism plays favorites. Christianity offers selfless love to all, but racism plays favorites. James 2, 8 and 9, James 2, 3 and 4, from this passage that we have just read, outline this point for us. If you really fulfill the royal law or the law of Christ, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then you're doing well. But if you show partiality or discrimination or racism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. Christianity offers selfless love to all and racism plays favorites. Recall verses three and four where they're talking about the rich person who comes in and how that person might be treated. And then the poor person comes in and we relegate them to a lower class of sitting over here or standing over there. It's playing favorites and it's wrong. And this often takes, in our society, it takes on a, a racial overtone. And so we've got to be very careful about how we behave. In fact, sometimes our intentions could be very good. But the actions speak of something different. It might be unintentional. But we must consider those things. That Christianity offers selfless love. Giving up the best of ourselves for someone else. Racism plays favorites. Have you or I played favorites in the communities in which we live or the workplace in which we engage? James is telling us that has no place in the body of Christ. The third point coming to us from James, and this helps to lay the foundation of uh, what the Bible says about racism, which very clearly it's saying it's wrong. The third point is simply this. Christianity is about mercy and racism is about judgment. Christianity is about mercy. Racism is about judgment. James 2 forces says this. Have you not then made. Now this is after the gentleman with the gold ring. And the poor gentleman come in. And they're treated differently. Then James says. If you've done that. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves. And become judges with evil thoughts. Have you not then become, uh, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He goes on to say in verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. What James is getting at here is that when we uh, have race, racial, um, racist attitudes that prevail in our lives or, or discriminatory ones or we're playing favorites, we're really making judgments and distinctions about who is better than another. And when we say it in that way, wow, 
I'm really saying this person is better than that person. It challenges us and it should challenge us. That's what racism is. That's what discrimination is. That's what partiality is. And James is helping us to see when we do that, we're engaging in something evil and we're deciding, we're judging who is good and who is not, which is not our place. He goes on to say that those who judge those who don't offer mercy will not be shown mercy. It's quite the statement. I think it underscores why it's so important today that we go through this scripture and that we go through the process, particularly now in this uh, environment where our society is talking about these issues. It's a very good time for us to do the same, just to take stock of where we're at, to understand where we are. And hopefully we find that we truly aren't operating out of any sort of racist attitudes. And then we can make it a matter of prayer that we would reconcile, that our society would be reconciled to one another. And really, that people would be reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Christianity is about mercy and racism is about judgment. Where have you and I sat in the seat of judgment we're talking about racism today, but just as an aside momentarily, there are other ways that, that we engage in judging that is completely unhelpful, that doesn't extend mercy, perhaps even with regards to our faith and the faith of others. Have we made judgments about someone else's relationship with Christ? You know, Jesus talked about removing the plank in our own eye before we begin to address the speck in someone else's. And I wonder at times if we've engaged too much in judging of others and not so much of judging and evaluating and examining our own hearts. So now we've established a, a foundation of what the Bible says uh, about racism. Clearly, racism is wrong. Anti-black racism is wrong. Racism of any kind. Discrimination is wrong. Partiality is wrong. James is very clear on that. Making judgments about people is wrong. So with that knowledge then, what can we do? What should we do? How do we respond to the injustices that we see, particularly when it comes to racism and, and the racism that uh, the black people in our community are, are enduring and facing and have faced? What is it that we can do? And I think the ultimate example we can look to is Jesus himself. So understanding that racism is wrong, what now then can we do? Well, we look to Jesus Christ and his example, and we see it in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Just three points on what can we do? How can we be Christ-like in our response? John chapter 4 verse 4 says, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noontime. It's interesting, the Bible says that he had to go through Samaria. The first point I want to bring out of this passage is that Jesus went to Samaria, and we need to go. Jesus went to Samaria, therefore we need to go. It's important to recognize the racial prejudice that existed in this time in history. Samaritans were reviled by the Jews. There was no association, no connection between Samaritans and the Jewish people. They avoided one another. And more than that, the Jews hated them. This, this comes out of the time of captivity when Assyrians intermarried with some people of the Jewish nation. And so uh, the Samaritans were, were a mixed race. 
Jew and Assyrian, and they were hated by the Jews. In fact, the Jews would refer to Samaritans as dogs. It's unbelievable. Speak about racial lines. These, this was a chasm between uh, these two countries or cultures, these two peoples. The other thing to observe in this passage is that it was about noontime. That was the hottest time of the day. Typically, women would go to the well together with other ladies to get water. Um, and they would do this usually in the morning time or in the evening time when it was cooler. But the Bible says that it was about noontime. That's the setting. Many uh, scholars believe that the woman that came to the well at noontime on her own came to the well at noontime on her own because there wouldn't be many people gathered there. She had to go to the well alone because she was ostracized because of her promiscuity. We know the text says that she had many, many husbands and now she was living with a man and uh, there was a life of promiscuity that she had lived. And so she was ostracized, rejected, uh, possibly by her own community. So much so that she wanted to get out to the well on her own, get out there, get the water, get back, perhaps without any social interactions. And so on this day in particular, she comes out at noon and there is Jesus. You see, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. When you look at uh, the geography, you'll see that he didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, there was another way typically used by Jews to travel between Judea and Galilee where he was headed. And they could circumvent Samaria. But the Bible says Jesus had to go. So if it wasn't for geography, then it must have been for some other reason. We know that. And I believe that the Lord has outlined why he had to go. This woman was um, promiscuous. She was untouchable. Uh, she was a woman. He was a man. She was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. And the Bible says he had to go. You see, I believe God appointed this time for Jesus Christ to come and to cross over racial barriers, to cross over a gender barrier, to cross over the, maybe the barriers of country and association and to bring himself in touch with someone who was otherwise untouchable. Jesus went to Samaria and so we have to go. He went, I believe, to speak to this woman I wonder who are the people that God might have us speak to, yet we're unwilling to go for whatever reason, perhaps even for, for racist reasons or, or for other reasons of discrimination or, or other reasons that we come up with, that we just won't go to the Samarias that God is calling us to. What are the Samarias that you and I are reluctant to go to, to travel through, to engage with? You know, of course, I'm using that word Samaria and Samaritan, but I'm really talking about the people in our lives. Who are the people that perhaps we avoid and don't engage with? Are there people of a certain color that we tend not to engage with? Or are there people from a certain aspect of social class that we don't associate with? Yet God is calling us to connect with the Samaritan in our lives. So Jesus went through Samaria, we need to go as well. The second point that emerges in terms of Christ's example and how to respond to discrimination is this. It's found in John 4, 7. Jesus did not hesitate to identify with the Samaritan woman. And we must not hesitate. Jesus did not hesitate to identify with the Samaritan woman. And we must not hesitate to identify with those who are 
marginalized. John 4, 7 says this, when, a, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How is it that you're asking me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, if you're reading from the NIV, if you have an NIV Bible at home, you'll see there's probably like a footnote there. And it's because the scholars, a great body of scholars that helped to translate the NIV version, wanted us to know something. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Another way of saying that, another way of indicating that was to say, or they do not use the dishes that Samaritans have used. Association uh, tied to the use of dishes. It's really interesting to me because it reminds me of a bit of a lighthearted story. Um, you know, I love my sister-in-law. I love all my family. We've got a great extended family and I'm thankful for them. And, and my sister-in-law, this, this occurred to me as I was reflecting on the scripture this week. I remember a time when my, my niece was quite young and um, she was wanting a glass of water. And we were all just hanging out and uh, she came up and just grabbed the glass of water that my sister-in-law had and just guzzled it down. And then my sister-in-law took the cup and uh, my niece ran off and whatever. And then I noticed that she like wiped off the cup and wiped the rim of the cup off and then, and then set it down. And I was like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, what's that? What's happening? I mean, this was long before COVID-19 and, and, you know, all these sort of things about not sharing utensils and dishes, etc. But, but um, you know, she cleaned all. Well, she's like, I, you know, I don't want to drink from that after she's uh, taken a drink. And... And I thought of my own son, like any cup in our house that is filled with a liquid, wherever it is, it is fair game for Judson. If he's thirsty, he's not looking to go to the kitchen and get a drink. He's looking for the closest cup that is nearby that he can grab and guzzle down from at home, at home. And it occurred to me as I was reading this and saw that in footnote and began to think about it, that, that our kids identify with us. They identify with our family. And so because my son identifies with me uh, and my wife and his sister, uh, he's quite comfortable to use, you know, the dishes that we used and to take a drink. And you see, that's what's happening here in the scripture. Jesus wasn't just asking for her to draw water um, and then he was going to pull out his travel mug and she was going to fill it up and he was going to guzzle it down. He was uh, asking to have a drink from her vessel. Talk about crossing lines and, and blurring those lines and getting rid of them. Jesus was pushing through into something here that's very important. And that was identifying with this woman. He didn't hesitate. He asked for a drink. Do we hesitate to identify with people of color? Do we hesitate to identify with people who are white? Those of us who are colored. Do we Hesitate to identify again with people who might have less than us or more than us or who are different than us in some way. Do we hesitate? I say this with all grace and I'm saying this to myself this morning. If there's hesitation in my life, in my heart or in yours, it's a good clue as to whether there needs to be some adjusting of the noun of our humanity by the adjective of our Christian faith. Do we hesitate? The third point comes to us here, and the final one from John 4, verse 10. John chapter 4, verse 10, again, continuing in the same story. It says this, that Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Later on, in verse 26, 
Jesus says, the NLT translation, New Living Translation, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. The third point is that Jesus shared his best, and we must do the same. Jesus shared his best, and we must do the same. We must share our best. It's interesting to me that just a couple of chapters before, Jesus was chatting with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a well-to-do man and uh, was in the upper parts of the social structure of Christ's time. And he came to Jesus to learn from him. And Jesus even spoke to him of new life and being born again. But he didn't identify himself as the Messiah. It's so fascinating to me that he waited until he was in Samaria, in the place that you do not go speaking with someone that he had no business according to the tradition of his day, speaking with. And he shared his best. The best that Jesus had at that time was, I am the Messiah. The best that he had was to give her hope. And he didn't spend that on somebody who was well-to-do, perhaps popular, well-connected. No, he came to somebody who was marginalized and on the outside, who was of a different race than him, who perhaps looked different than him, a different uh, gender than he was, someone who was ostracized, someone who was perhaps even reviled, someone that had to rush out to get her water when no one else was around. Jesus comes at noonday and he shares his best. I am the Messiah. He revealed to this woman that he was the Messiah and in doing so, Jesus offered her his best. Let me ask you this today. Are you and I, are we willing to share our best with those who are marginalized, with those who are different than us, with those who don't look like us, maybe for those, uh, to those who don't speak like us? Are we willing to share our best? Are we willing to open up our homes and our hospitality uh, to those whom are different than us, those that might be experiencing racism today? Are we willing to open up our hearts to them and before we become defensive about that, let that, let that sink in. Maybe, maybe you aren't, aren't racist per se, but perhaps we're not as willing to share the best of what we have with others. Perhaps we're not willing to go to those Samarias, to go to the Samaritans that God has uh, wonderfully placed in our life and share the best things that we have. Can you say honestly today that you're willing to share the best. Can I honestly say today that I'm willing to share the best that I have with those in my life who might be marginalized? These are tough questions this morning. And as we begin to wrap up the discussion, now we've looked at James and we've come to understand the foundation of what God, uh, the Bible says, what God says about racism. We've understood that it's wrong, there's no place for it, that it has to do with judging, it creates division, it lacks mercy. And we've understand that Christianity is the opposite, extending mercy and love to others. We've understood that truth and then we see that in the life of Christ. He went to Samaria. He didn't have to go to Samaria. We discovered that. He didn't have to go there, but he went there on a mission from God to break down the walls of division and to bring a message of hope. Jesus went to Samaria. Jesus didn't hesitate and Jesus shared his best. We're called to do the same. So this morning, as we begin to wind down this talk, I want us to just take a moment now, right, right now, and, and examine our hearts to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to reveal in our hearts what is the intention of our hearts. 
I know that this is uh, perhaps a difficult word to hear today, and these issues are difficult to discuss at times, but it's so important that we do so, so that we can move forward together, that we can share God's love and his light, the light of Christ with all people, with everyone, and that we can take a stand against things that are wrong, like racism and anti-black racism specifically. So right now, just where you are at home, I know the kids might be running around or the pets might be yelling to go out or, or whatever the case may be. Maybe you're stuck on a little iPhone watching the, the sermon and it doesn't feel as good as it might if we were all, to get, be all here together. But trust me, the Holy Spirit is there with you and he is here uh, with me now. Just quiet your heart for a moment and let's take a few moments to examine our hearts. To ask ourselves some of these questions, these difficult questions. Does the noun of my humanity today, God, does it need to be adjusted by the adjective of my faith in you? Lord, is there some attitude of, of racial superiority, racism in my heart towards another people group? God, have I been slow to respond or silent on these issues that you clearly Father God, have so much to say about. Holy Spirit, just come in these moments. Search our hearts. They're open to you. We want to be changed. We want to be more Christ-like. Are there ways in which we haven't given our best? We haven't given our hospitality? Are there ways, Lord, that we have hesitated on the sidelines of discussions about racism? Lord, are there ways that we have sort of rejected the truth, maybe buried our head in the sand to say, no, 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 everything is fine, when clearly, God, we're seeing the truth revealed, that things are not fine. Holy Spirit, in these few moments, just come and move in our hearts. Change us as we examine our hearts today. Just before we continue with the service and enter into worship again, I just want to bring us full circle this morning as we continue to examine our hearts. We come full circle and back to James chapter 2 in verse 13. It said this, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, but mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, maybe today as you've examined your heart, you sense that maybe there are some areas that need to be adjusted. I recognize there are some parts of my life that need to be adjusted. And what this verse is saying to us, mercy triumphs over judgment, is that if we have erred, if we've made a mistake, we can come today to Jesus. You see, Jesus died on the cross, and as he died on the cross, he took all of the judgment that was meant for us Jesus took all of that judgment. So now what remains is mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So today, if we've struggled even on this topic of racism, perhaps there are some attitudes lurking below the surface in our lives, or, or perhaps it's not that, but we've just been unwilling to open up our hearts and share the best of what we have, or to go to certain places or parts of our city or to engage with certain people. Maybe we've made those mistakes, but you know, today... There's no judgment. There is mercy for you and for me, for all of us. We can move forward in God. 
We can fulfill his plans and his purposes because of the great mercy he has for us. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Today, as we wrap this up, I just want you to know that God loves you so much. Regardless of the color of your skin, what background you have, God loves you. He loves all of us. And he wants us as a church family to move forward and to help facilitate reconciliation. And so as you continue in worship this morning, just continue to examine your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to move in you, to change you. Allow the adjective of your faith, your Christianity, the God who loves you, make some adjustments on the human side today. Let me pray with you as we head into worship. God, again, thank you for this chance that we've had to hear from you, Lord, to see what your word has to say on this topic of racism, Lord, and then to evaluate ourselves according to what you have said, God. Lord, I just pray that you would change our hearts. Wherever there needs to be adjustments made, would you make them? Lord, we pray for our entire church family today. God, we pray that you would have your way in all of our lives. Father God, we pray for those uh, who call faith their home, um, who are a part of the black community here in Halifax, and certainly for those uh, in the broader community here in Halifax, Canada, the United States. Lord, we pray at this time of, of particular challenge, Lord, that you would uh, be their strength, God. And Lord, that you would give wisdom uh, to all of us in ways that we can change, we can broker change, and we can reconcile, Father. Lastly, God, I pray that we would shine your light brightly, even uh, in these conversations that might seem to be rife with challenge and disappointment and emotions, God. We talked about how the truth can be difficult at times, Lord, but help us to have the courage, Lord, to love and to share your light and your goodness with others. And so, Lord, I bless this congregation today and all those who might tune in to um, hear this message. Lord, I bless them. God, I pray that you would keep them. I pray that you would shine down your favor and your grace and your love and mercy upon them, God. I pray that you'd be gracious to them and grant them peace. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.